Well, welcome, everybody. Thanks for coming on out. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor around here. Hey, let's give a round of applause to Christian. What a great job he did doing this. All, I mean, not easy to be the only person singing the whole time, but he's got a great voice. I wish I could sing like that. Well, I kind of do. Not really. Anyway, so if it is your first time here, we are in this series called At Just the Right Time. It is our Christmas series, and the premise of this series actually came to me a couple of months ago when I was researching for our Paul series that we were doing. Paul was writing a letter to a group of Christians living in this area called Galatia, and he was talking about all kinds of theological things. And in the middle of this long theological discussion, he gives us sort of a, a hidden detail about Christmas, just this, this thing about Christmas that we would have never known were it not for this letter, and it just kind of came out of nowhere. Let me show you what he said in Galatians 4.4. He says, but when the time was right, God sent his son and a woman gave birth to him. Now, was not expecting to see this in the middle of um, the letter to the Galatians, but what struck me most about this particular verse is how Paul described Christmas at coming when the time was right. And that really hit me because it, it does go to show that God really has a plan for this world. Scripture lets us know that God's plan for this world was to save humans from their sins, to, to reconcile mankind with, with God, and he was going to use Jesus to do that. But this verse kind of adds a, a layer of richness to his plan. And it shows that for thousands upon thousands of years, maybe tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, we don't really know, God watched human history unfold waiting and watching, building trust in humankind, building our faith. And at just the right time, he pulled the lever on his Christmas plan to save this world. And because this scripture says that it was at just the right time, we know that means it was just the right time for Mary. It was just the right time for Joseph. It was the just the right time for, for the wise men, even Herod. And I think with everything we're going on, you know, going through in 2020, that maybe Christmas is coming at just the right time for us. So all throughout this series, we're taking a look at what God's plan was for Christmas and this world and how his plans impacted the lives of those people who were involved in the birth of Jesus and how God's plan can impact our lives today in 2020. So last week, we took a look at the, the life of Mary and what God's plan was for her. But today, what I want to do is I want to begin to examine and, and sort of dig down deep into God's plan for the shepherds. Why did God use shepherds in his Christmas plan? What, what, was, his, what was his goal about for, for, you know, for using these particular shepherds? I want to talk about how God's plan for the shepherds really makes no sense at all. And yet, at the same time, actually makes perfect sense. So normally when we think about the Christmas shepherds, I, th I think a lot of times we think about kids in sheets. This is sort of how we picture the shepherds to look. You know, you've all seen middle school Christmas pageants or there's been local productions. I don't know if they're doing those anymore. Or maybe you think about Charlie Brown's Christmas. Some of us, we might drift off to kind of a, you know, Thomas Kincaid painting with sherbet colored skies and real bucolic pastures. And, and I don't know if it's the songs we sing, but... When we think of these shepherds, there's a, there's a warmth about them, right? There's, there's something inviting about them, you, you know, with their shepherd's crook and their little lambs. Well, according to historians, the actual shepherds were nothing like kids in sheets. 
In fact, based on what we know about these original shepherds, documents let us know that they really look more like this guy. This is Tony Beats from the Discovery Show Gold Rush. I don't know if you watched this show. I love it. I often tell my wife, I really think I miss my calling. I could do well in that industry. It just seems like something that I could handle. But Tony Beats, if you don't know his story, he's a rough guy. Okay, that's putting it lightly. He's, a re- he's rough around the edges. And he's always filthy because of the job that he does. Um, he has very little con- he's up in Alaska. He has very little contact with the general population. He spends most of his life surrounded by his peers, this crew that he works with. And this guy curses up a storm. I mean, every other word is an, is an obscenity. Well, according to historians, this is what our shepherds would be like. I don't know if our shepherds were cursing, a boy can dream. I think that's what would happen if you were dealing with sheep all your life. But my question is, how did a guy like this end up in the Christmas story? I mean, how how did a guy who sort of lives his life like this and is rough around the edges, how did he become a main player in the birth of Jesus? Well, his story picks up about one year after last week's story with Mary. So Mary finds out that she's going to conceive. We think she may have conceived roughly three months after that announcement. So now we're about a year out, and Mary has just given birth to Jesus. So our story is going to pick up in Luke chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 7. So speaking of Mary, it says, She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. So before we kind of go any further with this story, I want to make sure we're all on the same page as to what a manger actually is. Because when we hear this word manger, we immediately think nativity scene, right? This is sort of how we picture this. And because of the songs that we sing and because we know there was no room at the inn, when we hear manger, we think this brown thing. This is, this is sort of what we think a manger. It's like the barn, let's call it. Um, the reality is that a manger is what Jesus is sleeping in. This is the manger. A manger is a feeding trough. It's where the animals eat out of. So think about that. The Son of God, God himself, there at the creation, there involved in the creation, is now sleeping in a filthy trough surrounded by hay that horses would eat. Right? Something like millennial mom blogs definitely would not recommend doing with your child. Okay? Good enough for Jesus, but not my son, Braylon. So the story continues. It says, that night there were shepherds, here's our boys, we finally meet them, staying in the fields nearby. And this word nearby, very important. I want to put it on your radar, keep it in the back of your head. We're going to come there later on. So they're in the fields nearby and they're guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And it says that they were afraid. So when I read this this week, something dawned on me that I had never thought about. I, all of a sudden, a connection was made that I'd never seen before. Think about this. Remember the story of David and Goliath? We did that story over the summertime in our series called BC. Well, if you don't know that story, David is a 17-year-old shepherd. And this 17-year-old shepherd goes up against this giant named Goliath, this guy that could be upwards of nine feet tall, this man who tormented the Israelite army, who put the whole nation into fear. This 17-year-old shepherd boy goes out to fight him. 
And when the king of Israel goes, David, I got to know, how are you not afraid of this giant? David's answer, if you remember, he said, well, as a shepherd guarding my father's sheep, I fought lions and I fought bears. Well, David was a shepherd in Bethlehem, just like our shepherds, which means that our shepherds were dealing with the very same conditions that David dealt with. Our shepherds were fighting lions. Our shepherds were contending with bears, and yet they're afraid of an angel? What's going on there? Now, normally, I would point out that any time in Scripture we see a human coming in contact with an angel, they're a little bit afraid. Because angels don't look like chubby little kids with bows and arrows. And as much as TV shows make us think, angels don't look like really good-looking women and really good-looking men wearing robes and, and strumming a harp. According to Scripture, angels are huge and imposing and warrior-like and often otherworldly-looking. So maybe the shepherds were terrified because of that. But based on what comes next... I, I think there's actually something much more going on. I think the shepherd's fear runs a lot deeper because there was something about God appearing to them that shook them to their core. And this angel picked up on that. That's why he said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. And when these shepherds heard that the angel was there for good news, it was like, okay, all right, we're going to be all right, boys. Because these shepherds, as you know what Tony Beats looked like, these shepherds were the kind of guys that would say things like, hey, look, listen, if I ever went to church, just so you know, the roof would collapse. I can't begin to tell you how many friends I've invited to come to DHC and they go, John, listen, thanks for the invite. You're a great guy. Wish you all the best luck with what you're doing there. But if I ever go to your church, just so you know, the roof's going to catch on fire. And the greatest thing is that a lot of those people come to this church now and they're Christians. Many of you may have said this about yourself in your past. Maybe some of you are saying it about yourselves right now because someone invited you here and promised you brunch afterwards, so you came. And you've just been looking at the ceiling for cracks, right? Well, they're there, so don't look too hard, okay? But if you feel that way, you're not alone. These shepherds 2,000 years ago, because of what society said about them, because of what religion at the time said about them, we're made to feel that if God showed up in their lives, it's not a good thing. It's not, it's not a good scene. And so they were afraid. They were terrified. So why did they feel this way about themselves? What was it about them that made them feel like they couldn't step inside the local church? Why, why did they feel like they could not have a positive interaction with God? What was going on with their lives? What was going on in cultures that would make them feel this way? Well, According to the prevailing Jewish beliefs at this time, shepherds specifically were considered to be spiritually and ceremonially unclean. Let me explain to you what that means if you're not familiar with this term. So according to the law of Moses, and we did a lot on the law of Moses in our Paul series. So if you want to learn more about that, you can go find that. But according to the law of Moses, Jewish people lived in one of two states before God. They could either be clean or unclean. Now, if you follow the law of Moses, if you do all the rules, if you do all the regulations, if you ate the right kinds of food and avoided the wrong kinds of food, 
If you wore the right types of garments and avoided the wrong types of garments. If you socialized with the right kinds of people and avoided the wrong kinds of people, then you would be clean and therefore acceptable in the eyes of God. However, if you were like the shepherds, whose job made them work with animals. And when you work with animals, what happens? You come across dead animals. You come across manure and blood. These things made you unclean. And we were unclean, it prevented you from engaging in a lot of spiritual activities. For example, because these shepherds were unclean because of their jobs, they had no access to the temple. And one of the main things that happened in this temple, when you stepped inside there, they just couldn't, they couldn't even walk in. These guys were given the stiff arm by their fellow Jews because of their job. Number two, being unable to enter the temple precluded you and meant that you had no access to sacrificial offerings. This was the main thing that happened at the temple. You would come in, you would bring your lamb, the chief priest would, you know, dispatched the lamb, so to speak. And when the blood of the lamb was shed, your sins were forgiven. But because these shepherds couldn't leave their job, because they couldn't enter into the temple, they could never have their sins forgiven. Additionally, since they couldn't enter the temple, it meant they had no access to scripture. Now today, all across the world, every single one of us has access to scripture. It's on your phone. You can order one off Amazon and it'll be there in an hour, depending on what city you live in. You will find a Bible in every hotel room in America. But 2,000 years ago, if you wanted to read the scriptures, or rather I should say, if you wanted to hear the scriptures read to you, you had to go to the temple because there was only one copy per community, if even that. This idea of having your own personal Bible that we have today in the 21st century, that wouldn't have been a reality for Christians or people, really, until the 1800s, maybe the 1700s, if you had enough money in your household. So these shepherds had zero access to Scripture. They had zero access to the forgiveness of sins. They had zero access to the temple, which made these poor guys feel like they had no connection to God. They knew he existed, right? They knew he forgave sins, but they felt as though he didn't even know their name. And why would he? They don't measure up. That's what society has told them. So there's this thing called the Mishnah, and the Mishnah is the written version of Jewish oral law. And the Mishnah has a lot to say about the shepherds. This, this written version of the oral law actually says that shepherds were incompetent if you're dealing with a shepherd, just so you know ahead of time, you're dealing with a person that's incompetent. Now imagine if Christianity had something like that. This sort of auxiliary sets of rules and regulations that went alongside the Bible. It didn't come from God, it came from man. It goes alongside the Bible. And this, this law lets you know that if you're dealing with a, a teacher, let's say, they're incompetent. Additionally, historical records said that the shepherds had um, no civil rights. Literally, they were removed. A shepherd couldn't testify in any kind of court proceedings. And according to the Mishnah, shepherds were considered to be thieves. It literally says, it forbids fellow Jews from buying, what was it? Milk, wool, and goats from shepherds under the presumption that if they were selling it, it was stolen goods. And there's even a law in there that I found 
that said, if you happened upon a shepherd who had fallen into an open pit, you should not feel obligated to help them out. Which makes you wonder how many open pits they got. This is happening anyway. So when you see how society thought about shepherds and treated shepherds, it really boggles your mind that God sent his angel to these guys. And the message that this angel said was, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yeah, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And I love the fact that the angel goes, yes, the Messiah. It's almost like he saw a recognition on the face of the shepherds, that they understood exactly what he was talking about. That even though they couldn't go into that temple, and even though they didn't have regular access to Scripture, they knew that God had a plan for this world. They knew that at some point he would send his savior, he would send his Messiah. And these angels said, if you wanna find that Messiah, you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. This announcement really amounts to the greatest announcement ever. I mean, the Messiah has arrived. The one who will save this world from his sins has arrived. The one who will reconcile man with God has arrived. And God, in his infinite wisdom, who has been waiting for this moment for thousands upon thousands of years, entrusts this message to the shepherds, to the ones who are outcasts, to the ones who can't even step inside the local church, and to the ones who nobody trusts. Now, just like we saw last week with God's plan for Mary, God's plan doesn't add up here. It doesn't make any sense, right? Because if God had this tremendous message that he wanted to get this message out into the world for people to listen to, for lives to be changed, for people to react, for the biggest impact possible to be made, it doesn't make any sense to give it to the shepherds. I mean, it would make sense if God sent this announcement to, let's say, the chief priests, right? That we can get behind. You know, some big religious announcement, let's give it to the guys that sort of devoted their lives to religion. That makes sense. Or if not the priests, it would make sense if God sent this announcement to the king. Guys in charge, he could get this message quickly, dispatch emissaries and messengers all across the kingdom. Here's what happens. Here's what you need to do. That would make sense or if not the king, at least, at least the rich and the powerful. People who had some pull in society. People who others desired to be around and to be like and to listen to and to be in their company. And yet God had planned from the beginning of time to use the outcast, the unclean, the shepherds. See, one of the things you'll learn as you read scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, is that God and Jesus love to shock us. They love it. Because they see we as, as, as humans, we get wrapped up in all kinds of stereotypes, how people should be thought of, what they should do. We even get wrapped up in how we think God should act. And then they turn the tables on us. That's exactly what God did that night when he went to the shepherds. He shocked every single person. But he's not done shocking them. Because all of a sudden it says, suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, and in some translations saying, singing, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth 
to those whom God is pleased. Perfect grammar from the angels. This right here, think about this. This right here is perhaps the greatest divine spectacle in all of scripture. I mean, you've got the resurrection and then honestly, it's this. I mean, the parting of the sea would have been amazing to watch, but that was an, that was an earthly miracle. This is otherworldly. This is God pulling back the curtains of heaven. This is God making that which is invisible, visible. And in this moment, as these shepherds look up at these angels, it says they saw a vast host. Not just a host, but a vast host. So what's a host? This Greek word for host that they use here is this word stratia, which literally means heavenly bodies, like the constellations. In other words, when these shepherds looked up into that night sky and saw these angels, there were as many as the stars in the sky. I can't even fathom what that would have looked like. And all I'm left to wonder is why did God plan this divine display for such despised people. It's because that night, after I've waited thousands and thousands of years, it was just the right time to announce to the world that the message of Jesus is for everyone. God was making a statement that night. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, it doesn't matter what society has said about you, what your family has said about you. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, your success or your failures. God is for everyone. This is a banner that Jesus would wave his entire ministry. There was a time he, um, he walked into a temple surrounded by the rich, the powerful, the elite, the spiritual leaders of the time, he walks right to the front and he goes to that one copy of the scripture that the shepherds didn't have access to. And he opens it up and he begins to read to the audience. Here's what he read. It comes from the book of Isaiah, but here's what Jesus read that day. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news. There it is, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free. And scripture tells us that he rolled the scroll back up and he looked out at that audience and he says, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Mic drop. See here, Jesus is simply echoing what God proclaimed that first Christmas night that you're never too low or too insignificant or too forgotten for God. That the reason that God came to the shepherds is because God came for the shepherds. Additionally, I think that God went to the shepherds because he knew. He knew that these shepherds more than anybody else would listen. And not just listen, but respond. You see, just because God speaks doesn't mean we listen. And just because we listen doesn't mean we respond. Now think about this logically because this is where God's plan begins to start to make sense for us. How do you think a king, all right? How do you think a king would respond? 
to a message that a newborn king has just arrived. Not just a king, but the king of kings. That would not be good news. That would not be received well by a reigning king. And we know this as evidenced by Herod. When Herod found out that the king of kings was born, what did he do? He set out to kill every child under two. Or, how about this? How do you think a religious leader would respond to the message that the Savior has been born? You'd think positively. You'd think they'd be psyched. We've got a problem with the religious leaders of this time. They don't think they need saving because they got it all covered. They keep the law of Moses. They do all the things they're supposed to do and none of the things they shouldn't do. So they're clean. They're acceptable in God's eyes. Thank God, they're good. In fact, it would be this group, the spiritual leaders, that would make the shepherds feel like outcasts. One day, Jesus was having dinner with a group of tax collectors. And if you're unfamiliar with tax collectors at this time, we're not talking IRS agents. All right, we're talking about Jewish people who bought the right from Rome to tax their fellow Jews. So they were seen as traitors to their own people. They were despised more so than even the shepherds. So one day, Jesus and his disciples, they're having dinner with these tax collectors. And the spiritual leaders, they get wind of this. The Pharisees, these are Jewish people, the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Imagine a religious leader who thinks they got it all figured out, doesn't need saving because they, they ain't got a good, talking about a fellow believer like this. It's not difficult to see why the shepherds have such a hard time. But look how Jesus responds. Healthy people, they don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And I have come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. So just as God did that first Christmas night by going to the shepherds, Jesus would just bring his message to those who would listen and respond. And so what he's telling these self-righteous spiritual leaders at the time, he wasn't going to waste his time on those who think they're too good to need saving. Instead, he would devote his life, literally. He would devote his life to those who think they're too bad to be saved. And so this plan of God actually makes perfect sense to send a message of salvation to the outcast and to the unclean because their pride would not blind them to the fact of their spiritual condition. And God was right in his choice to use the shepherds because they listened and they responded. It says that when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Right? Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. I love the fact that it says they hurried. These guys didn't waste any time at all in responding because they knew what was being offered to them that night. It was as though God was saying, I know what society has said about you. And I know how you feel about yourself. 
And I know that you've been prevented from coming to me. So tonight I'm coming to you. And I'm going to offer you something that you've never known in your life. Forgiveness and love. Let me wrap up by circling back to what we talked about in the very beginning. So when we met the shepherds, remember what it said? It said that night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. This is one of those details, this word nearby. It's one of these details that we would just read and gloss right over. We don't think much about it. It's an incredibly important detail. Because of this geographical detail, let's call it, we can understand why God used these particular shepherds. See, the fact that it says the nearby flocks lets us know that these particular shepherds had a very important job. It lets us know that they were in charge of the temple flocks. Now, let me tie all this together for you. Stick with me on this. Remember, because they were unclean, they couldn't go into the temple, which means they could not receive the forgiveness of sins because of the sacrificial offering. Well, the lambs that were used in the temple sacrifice were kept in this flock. And the irony is that these shepherds who kept the sacrificial lamb safe and by keeping the sacrificial lamb safe made them unclean, thereby preventing them from benefiting from the forgiveness of sins offered by their death. I mean, it's, a, it's an absolute catch, 22. But the most important aspect of these particular um, shepherds' job was that they had to watch for the firstborn male. Now, according to scripture, it was only the firstborn male lamb that was acceptable for sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. And sheep, apparently, have two lambs at once. I don't think they both come out like that. I think it's in succession order, okay? But what these shepherds had to do in what is known as lambing season, they had to keep an eye on the flock. And they had to watch to see which lamb came out first. And if that first lamb was a male. And if it was, they'd mark it with a red string. And they would immediately run back into town and let them know that the sacrificial lamb has arrived. He's here. And in just the way that only God could orchestrate it, there's just a poetry about it. God allowed the shepherds who guarded the sacrificial lambs to be the very first ones to greet the Lamb of God, Mary's firstborn son. And in that moment, as they looked into the eyes of Jesus, they knew that he would be the Lamb that would take away the sins of the world. And they fell back on their training. Because the shepherds told everyone, he's here. He told everyone what has happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished because the Savior is here. The perfect sacrifice has arrived. So what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC every single week, we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So when God pulled the lever on his plans, 
It was just the right time to impact the lives of those shepherds. And I imagine that there are people here today or watching online or maybe listening to this podcast in the future who feel like the shepherds. You've been marginalized by society, maybe even by the local church. And if that's you, I'm sorry that you've been made to feel that way. I really, really am. But what this story teaches us is that no one is too far from God. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done or what society has said about you. God loves you. Now, you may not feel that love right now. You may not understand that love right now, but Jesus is the evidence of God's love specifically for you. This guy named John, who was the the best friend of Jesus, one time said this, for God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that anyone, and when it says anyone, that means everyone, So everyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is a promise available to every single person in the world, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. And my prayer this Christmas, I was praying it this morning, is that like the shepherds did 2,000 years ago, you would listen to this announcement and perhaps even respond. So this year, Let's remember that God sent his son at just the right time to let every single one of us know, to let the world know that the message of Jesus is for everyone. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could come together today. I want to thank you for the shepherds, Lord. Because I just feel like their story is our story. There's so many of us, God, who struggle with our past, who struggle with things going on in our lives, that society has pointed us and said, you're no good, you're not wanted. There's so many of us, Lord, who who are just so desirous to have a relationship with you or to be able to go to church, and yet there's a a fear in our hearts, God, that if we do, it's only going to be negative, God. But I'm thankful that your plan for this world included the shepherds so that we would know, we would know that you came for everyone. And you came during our mess. And that your son died for us while we were still sinners. I pray, Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you personally, that today might be the day. Today might be the day that they invite you into their heart and say, God, I don't understand I don't understand all this, but I'm starting to believe that your son is who he claims to be, Jesus, the Messiah. We place all this in your name. Amen.